Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. A sensational start to this Monday. Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, great, great day of Sunday football. Uh, a lot of good games capped off with a really unbelievable, like the highest scoring fourth quarter differential ever, or at least since like the early 1900s where the teams were not even real yet, you know? Uh, 33 to nothing. The Cowboys outscored the Colts 33 to nothing. Pretty insane. Um, I, I have no idea. Like, I understand the Cowboys are a huge national draw still, but like, how do you not flex that game out for the Cowboys and, I mean, uh, the Chiefs and Bengals, which was a great game. That was a 425 game. You could have flexed that out to Sunday. And also uh, Dolphins 49ers, which ended up being kind of a little bit lopsided in the Niners' favor, especially because Tua got it. Well, not Tua got it. Tua got injured at the end of the game, I think, didn't he? So that doesn't really matter too much. But it uh, ended up being a lopsided game. Even with Jimmy G getting hurt, Jimmy G did get hurt early. And uh, the Niners had to roll in with their backup. So that was an interesting game. That could have been flexed. I I just don't know why you forced the public. Again, I get Cowboys, huge national draw, but the Colts stink. We shouldn't be subjected to watching Indianapolis Colts football. I'm sorry. Uh, And then this afternoon, this early afternoon, just after 12 o'clock, Justin Verlander agreeing to a deal with the New York Mets. And Jacob DeGrom is gone. So just so much to talk about uh, here. I think um, Verlander, he's getting a similar contract. uh, Two years, $86 million. So he's getting that like heavily loaded. uh, It's shorter than Scherzer's contract because Verlander is a a few years older than Scherzer. But he is coming off an AL Cy Young. So he's getting two years, $86 million. Uh, It includes a vesting third-year option according to Jeff Passan. So he's getting, you know, forty-four, uh, $43 million a year, Justin Verlander. And that's Scherzer's getting $40 million through his contract as well. So you have um, these two slightly older guys that are now uh, being paid $40-plus million each per year on these short contracts. I like how Steve Cohen went after them. He's like, listen, you're old. We can't give you a lot of years, but I'll give you a short-term deal with just a shit ton of money. And they both agreed to it. And now, like they were 10 years ago on that Detroit Tigers team, that that American League pennant team, Scherzer and Verlander are back together. Somehow, some way, they're better. (laughs) It's, It's wild to think about, but Verlander, who's 40, and Scherzer, who's pushing 40... Both of them are better now than they were 10 years ago, arguably. Maybe not Verlander. I think Verlander, like 10 years ago, he was winning an AL MVP. But uh, still, coming off a Cy Young Award, like, he's just as good. I would say Scherzer is better than he was 10 years ago. Um, and, And Verlander is still somehow just as good coming off Tommy John surgery. And now he wins a Cy Young. Like, it's unbelievable. So, Mets fans... There's a lot to be happy about. There is also some things to be a little bit sad about. Obviously, Jacob DeGrom. So let's dive right into that. We're going uh, with the Mets here to start off this podcast. Obviously, it's huge baseball news. Still waiting 
to see uh, what happens with Aaron Judge. The winter meetings are rolling up. Uh, Judge, he you know he visited the Giants. There is reports leaking out that it's going to be an eight or nine year deal. So I'm expecting within the next few weeks to hear something about Aaron Judge's contract because uh, we already got a couple big name guys. We got Jacob Degrom, and this this is the big one. Obviously, we just talked about Scherzer. We could talk a little bit more about him after this, but Degrom leaves New York, collects the bag from the Texas Rangers, which was it was uh, something I think that a lot of people expected uh, in terms of, you know, the Rangers being uh, a viable option to pluck DeGrom away from the Mets. Uh, he got a five-year, $185 million contract with the Texas Rangers. Uh, it includes a conditional six-year option that would take a total to $222 million, full no-trade clause. So now you have the Texas Rangers who are spending over half a billion dollars for three players, Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, and now Jacob deGrom, and they're still going to finish probably third in the AL West. Like, I just, there are so many glaring holes on that team one starting pitcher and two position players, no matter how good they are, cannot make you a good team. Just look at the Angels, right? Rendon, who's been hurt for most of his contract, that is just a horrible deal that went real south for them real quickly. Trout, for as good as he is, even though he'll he'll miss a couple games here and there, like he's still sensational, arguably a top two player in baseball. Angels can't just Shohei Otani, generational talent. They can't do anything. The Angels can't win baseball games. So am I supposed to be thinking any differently to Texas, who won 68 games last year? Unless they add one or two, maybe even possibly three known guys, like guys that are going to be, you know, are going to be able to come in and contribute immediately, and they're going to have a big impact on your team, unless they go out and do that, I don't, I don't see the Rangers competing in the AL West over... A good young team like the Mariners, who just made the playoffs, and the Astros, who have proven time and time again that even when they lose guys, they could still reload and re-up. Like, Yuli Gurriel's probably gone, but they went and they signed Jose Abreu, who's slightly older because he came into the league out of Cuba, but uh, still a very good baseball player, and, you know, they just they just plug in there. Obviously, you, losing Justin Verlander is huge for them. I think they're pretty high on that kid who... I, I apologize for not knowing his name. He, I think he only played in a couple games this year or showed up in a couple games this year. But he has, like, the same mechanics as Verlander, who was his idol growing up. They might be pretty high on him. Um, I think Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, Lance McCullers, like, those are guys that are all young. And I think Lance McCullers might be the oldest out of all of them. But clearly the Astros have a lot in fa- a lot of faith in them. And they should. You know, like this playoff run, this World Series run, three of they they might have all they all pitched just as well, if not better than than Verlander. Valdez was the best uh, the best pitcher on that staff during this World Series run. Famer Valdez going in, you know, the second half of the regular season and then into the playoffs and into the World Series, he was untouchable. 
Like, really, really, really good stuff from him. Christian Javier, again, like I said, and and that other the rest of that pitching staff. Like, clearly the Astros saw during this run that they could be okay if Verlander decided, decided to leave, uh, which he did. So, I think the Astros would be fine. I also wouldn't count them out in terms of going out and, and trying to replace Verlander with someone obviously not as large as scale as him, like someone who can make as big as impact as him, but they'll, they'll replace him with someone probably. But the Astros have shown time and time again that when they lose these big names guys, Springer and Correa specifically, when they left, like they're able to just plug them in and continue to play a high level of baseball. So I don't think the Astros are sweating this move that much. Um, Verlander going to the Mets is huge, but uh, back to DeGrom, this situation's interesting because Jacob DeGrom is... A 34-year-old pitcher, he has been plagued by injuries for the last three years, just about. Barely played any baseball last year. Um, But when he's on the mound, he is probably the best pitcher in baseball. Let's just be real. Like, he is untouchable, dominant, and he just overwhelms every batter with essentially two pitches. Uh, a fastball and a slider, so he's he's a stud, man. He he's so good, and for the Rangers to go out and get him, that's great. I don't think that makes them a contender in their own division, let alone the entire league. But Degrom clearly had a choice here, and if you're a Met fan, I know it hurts. Speaking as a Yankees fan, like if if Judge walks and goes to San Francisco, I'm gonna be devastated. Judge is 30 and played a whole healthy season and had an historic year compared to DeGrom, who has been injured the past couple years. But, like, two staples of the of their teams, guys who, when they are healthy, are, you know, top five in the league. So it's, it's Aaron Judge and DeGrom, like, I get it. I understand why that hurts. But just to try and talk rationally for a second, DeGrom is a 34-year-old pitcher, injury-prone, who just got a lot of money. And he had a choice. He could stay with the Mets, try and work something out with them, and and continue to try and compete for a World Series. Like, the Mets are ready to win now. If anything, right? They are built to win now. And DeGrom, I think, knows that. And he could have signed a deal, maybe, you know, a little less... For a little less money, possibly. I don't know exactly if the Mets had a deal in place. But it seems like the talks are, the Rangers threw him a bag, and he said yes. And I just don't think the Mets were willing to pay that kind of money for a guy that has shown to be a bit injury-prone. And it's unfortunate, of course. But I don't think, I think DeGrom had made his his mind made up. Like, he might have been one foot out the door before this season even ended. Because I don't even know if the Mets made a counter- to try and keep him. I think the Rangers just made that deal from what I'm he- what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing. The Rangers made that deal and DeGrom was gone. So he chose to leave a win-now situation with the Mets to go to a huge question mark with the Texas Rangers, get his bag, no state income tax, and probably just, unfortunately, drift away into nothing. Like, there's not going to be DeGrom Day anymore like that is a New York based market 
Okay, that the only reason why people get so hyped up for DeGrom to pitch every fifth day is because he's playing for the New York Mets. Yes, obviously he's wildly talented, but being in New York, you're in that center of the t- of attention. Even when the Mets were bad and it was and DeGrom was dominating, people still liked to watch them. No one is going to want to watch a bad Texas Rangers team with a really good Jacob DeGrom. No one. Not a soul. Except Texas Rangers fans. So, they they won 68 games last year. I think they win, like, maybe, they win less than 80. I don't think Jacob DeGrom by himself gets you that much, right? He'll, he'll win, if he stays completely healthy, he could win between 15 and 20 games. Yes, absolutely. I think they, you know, are there chances that the Rangers blow it? Because when he games he started? Yeah, how many times we see that with the Mets, that he didn't get a win because the Mets couldn't score or they blew the lead when they were bad? Like, a ton. So, the Rangers... Like, this doesn't move the needle for them. Is it exciting? Yes. If you're a Rangers fan, should you be, like, gassed up? Yes, absolutely. Uh, You know, rejoice, relish in the signing. You just signed one of the best players in baseball, but you're paying three players over half a billion dollars to be an average team, hopefully. If you finish 500 this year... You're lucky if you're the Texas Rangers. You're lucky. It's just not something that is a a viable plan for them moving forward. I'm sorry. And if you're the Mets, maybe have a sigh of relief. You know, I know that pain must have been extraordinary to begin with. But now you have Verlander on a short deal. You're You're paying him a lot of money, but it's a short deal. Like, if there's anyone anyone to replace Jacob deGrom with that that feeling of excitement in your heart and in your gut it's Justin Verlander because now you have Scherzer and Verlander and yes they're old but that's okay because they're still really really good at playing baseball so why not man like Verlander to replace deGrom is the single best thing that could have happened for the Mets in terms of like finding a replacement because it's not like you replaced him with this is going to sound a little rude, but Carlos Rodon, who you also might still sign, by the way, uh, he's very good. He also has some injury problems, and it, it, it's less of a flair. Now, you replace DeGrom with the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner. You can't. You literally cannot get much better than that. So, I, I apologize. I'm sorry to Mets fans that that happened, but also... You know, congratulations. <laughs> you, you, you are essentially, you broke even. You know, you're fine. Uh, I wouldn't say you're in the red in terms of losses and gains. You're, you're pretty much even now at this point. So you, you should be feeling all right heading into the rest of this uh, free agency period. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, by the way, re-signed with the Dodgers to a one-year $20 million deal. So Kershaw staying in Dodger blue feels right. Glad he's not going anywhere. I know last year there were talks about him maybe going home to Texas. He stayed in uh, California, which is nice. So overall, like, I would give the DeGrom to Texas move, like, a C plus. <laughs> like, really, I, I, I just, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't move the needle for them at all. Like, there's still a not a very good team. They have three players. They're paying 
a ton of money to. Uh, so it just it doesn't really it doesn't really seem like it moves the needle the needle that much for them. As for the Mets, um, I think it's it's an A move. Uh, I think they're they're paying them you know a ton a year, but it's only for a two year contract, maybe three. Um, so I, I just I think that's that's a fine move for them. I think they're it's an A move in terms of they replaced one of the greats with one of the greats. So that's why it gets such a high rating in terms of how it affects their team going into next year. As of right now, assuming they make no other moves, which isn't going to happen, uh, it's a a lateral move almost. I, I think they're pretty much, you know, in the same position as they were last year. And, you know, they played, they won uh, uh, over 100 games last year, 101 games, whatever it was, pretty much without DeGrom. Like, they, they, didn't, they didn't have DeGrom pretty much all year. Uh, you know, Scherzer got nicked up for a, a few weeks. So they they really played a, a great brand of baseball, like a, a long-term winning brand of baseball last year without their best pitcher. Um, so that that's all I'll say. It's it's if, if Verlander could be healthy like he was this year, I know he missed a couple games as well, but not nearly enough. Obviously, he still won the Cy Young. So... I, I like it. I like it for the Mets. I think, you know, good for them. And uh, we'll see what happens with the Yankees now and Aaron Judge and how he unfolds into all of this and where he ends up landing. He'll make another big splash and, and leave a New York market to go to uh, a team that is, I guess, a passion pick. Or will he stay in New York, you know, continue to rep the Yankees? I think if he stays in New York, he probably gets named captain. Um, but I'm not sure. So we'll see. So some college football news, uh, before we get into the NFL, we had a a shakeup in the college football playoff and it was a whole big to do leading up to this game or to these games, these championship games, because Ohio state and Alabama were creeping at five and six. So everyone was like, okay, well, Michigan and Georgia are in because Michigan's going to stomp Purdue, which they did, and in the Big Ten championship game. And then uh, Georgia is going to stomp LSU. Some people were like, oh, I kind of like LSU, but no. Georgia ended up stomping LSU 50-30 to in the SEC championship game. So everyone knew Georgia was going to be one, Michigan was going to be two. What happens to three and four if they lose? Do we put Ohio State and Bama in? Do we keep one of the two? Like, what happens here? And in the worst case scenario, both teams lost. USC lost to Utah for the second time this year. They end the season 11-2. Both their losses, like I just said, to Utah. uh, 47-24. They got blown out in the Pac-12 championship game. So not good for USC, who were at four. The three seed in the college football playoff, playoff was TCU. And TCU was undefeated at this point. Um, so it was like people were saying, do you penalize them and and give it to Bama if they lose? Because Bama's a two-loss team. Already, they're a two-loss team. So does, is that fair to penalize TCU for losing in the Big 12 championship game when they've been undefeated all year? That seems pretty lame. And that's inevitably, inevitably what... Ended up uh, happening with the committee here. They didn't. TCU lost in overtime to a, a top ten ranked team in Kansas State. They were ranked tenth uh, at ten and three. So 
they were like, all right, we're not gonna we're we're not gonna penalize TCU for losing by a field goal in overtime to in in the Big Twelve championship game. That's not fair. So TCU stays in. They actually stay at three. So they don't even lose positioning where uh, it's not even like they dropped to four and then OSU came scooping up to to three. And, uh, you know, that would make TCU have to play Georgia in the first game of the college football playoff. Now, instead, they get to play Michigan like they were. So the final rankings, Georgia and Michigan at one and two, both undefeated at 13 and 0. TCU at three at 12 and one and Ohio State uh at four at eleven and one, their only loss being a blowout loss at home to Michigan, which is a lot of, which is why a lot of people were like, oh, do they get in even? Like maybe USC should be in. No. USC has two losses, so they're gone. Um Alabama just misses out. They're fifth at ten and two. Tennessee's ten and two. Clemson eleven and two. Utah ten and three. K State ten and three. And then USC falls from four to tenth in the final ranking here. Uh, at 11 and two, so tough loss for USC. They just miss out on the college football playoff. Uh, TCU still remains, rightfully so, I think. And now you'll have an interesting uh, matchup. People obviously are excited, you know, that OSU is in, and uh, you would think. Actually, no, because OSU now has to play Georgia. So I was gonna say you would think you can get a rematch of Michigan, but that one, if if that it, it's possible now though, which is pretty cool. Like if Ohio State somehow beats Georgia, and Michigan beats TCU, the championship game is gonna be Ohio State and Michigan, which would be like un- just flat out unbelievable atmosphere. My goodness, that would be so sick if that happened, but. I don't know. Ohio State's chances of being Georgia not not great. That Ohio State uh, uh, defense got torched by Michigan. I can't see them faring too well against Georgia. So that's your college football update. I know we don't really talk college football on this podcast, but it is important, and I watched all the games, so, you know, good update to have. And uh, another update, as we're at a lot, lot, a lot of MLB stuff happening today. Trey Turner agrees to a contract with the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) 11 years, $300 million contract for Trey Turner with the Philadelphia Phillies. Oh, my God. 11 years, $300 million. So he's going to be... He's playing to the Phillies if if he if he stays with the Phillies for his entire career, as that contract would lead people to believe. Uh, he's playing for the Phillies till he's forty. So him, Bryce Harper, locked up super long term. My goodness, what a huge deal for Trey Turner! Oh my lord, I didn't. You know, I I thought he'd get a big deal. I was not. I was not expecting that. I was not expecting that ballpark. That is. That is a ton of money. Oh my god, man. That is insane. Jesus. All right. Congrats to the Phillies. I just I can't believe he got that kind of money, man. That's crazy. All right. Let's let's move on to the NFL. Giants and Jets both back in action this week. Uh they were alternating bye weeks, so first time they played together. Giants Ended up in a tie 
which is who would have thought, right? That's interesting. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I, there were there were quite a few opportunities for the Giants to win this game, especially at the end. Um, you know, with I think a minute forty left in overtime, they were. Let me see exactly where they were. Maybe they were a little further back than I originally thought, but I don't. I don't think they were, man. It, it was uh, here with they ended this possession at the. So they were at the Washington forty-five, and then took a delay of game to punt it back to Washington with a minute forty-two left in the game, and I think uh, I forgot who was on the call. My I think it was um. Kenny Albert and uh, Charles Davis. But they were talking and he's like, yeah, I think this is the right move. Charles Davis was saying, oh, I think it's the right move. You know, Dable's risky, but I didn't I didn't think he was that crazy, you know. So uh, maybe I guess I thought it was crazy. It was uh, it was a fourth and three. Um, Yeah, I mean, it, it was a fourth and three from your opponent's. 45 yard line I thought they'd at least go for it um or 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 try and kick the field goal with Graham Gano but it, it turns out it, that didn't really matter I mean the Giants had a chance at the end of the game to uh kick a game-winning field goal and Gano came up short on a 58 yard field goal on the money accuracy wise it was it was right down the middle but it just came up um, probably I would say, uh, four or five yards short. So it probably would have been good from like 54, 55. And apparently that was the longest field goal attempt in Giants. The, the longest field goal made in Giants history was 57 yards. Apparently that's what they said on the broadcast. I, that didn't sound right, but I, I guess the Giants had never hit a field goal longer than 57 yards. That's crazy to me. Um, but he comes up a little bit short and this game ends up in a tie again the Giants just like so many opportunities to win this football game you're up late 20 you're up by a touchdown 20 to 13 late in the game under two minutes and uh you know they had Washington come down and score Taylor Heineke once again showing his his nuts Throwing him on the table. Um, the guy just continues to find ways to to keep Washington in it. And it ends in a tie. Already, a day later, uh, for week 15, week 14's coming up. So week 15, Giants commanders in their second match of the season already flexed to Sunday night football. So that's going to be a pivotal game for both of them. Um, looking forward, though, like the Giants, they have to play. They stay home and they play the Eagles. So this this tie, it doesn't hurt the Giants, um, but it doesn't help them either. Obviously, it hurt the Commanders. The tie. So you look at the playoff, um, the playoff scenario now. The Giants remain the uh, the second seed wild card behind the uh, the Cowboys because. Washington ended up tying, so now they're seven five and one. Again, they haven't had their bye week yet, so they have an extra game played. Um, but the Commanders are going to 
They're seven five and one. Seahawks had a great win uh, against the Rams, where they scored a last second touchdown. They leapfrogged the Washington Commanders into the seventh seed. And then you have the Giants and the Cowboys. So right now, as it stands, Washington is now out of the playoffs. Seahawks are in. Uh, obviously a huge game for the Giants now because if they lose next week to the Eagles, uh, the Commanders, who I'm going to go ahead and say have a bye week, which they do, nailed that one, they're on their bye week, and then they come back the next week and play the Giants again. So they are at an advantage there because the Giants have to get ready for the Eagles, which is going to be a very, very tough game. And then they got to turn around and travel to Washington to play the Commanders for the second time in three weeks, whereas the Commanders now are 7-5-1. and one. They're just outside looking in. If the Giants lose to the Eagles, they would leapfrog them because of the tiebreaker that they have. Um, and actually, they're both 7-5-1. and one. I don't know what the tiebreaker would be. Well, the Eagle, the Commanders beat the Eagles, so there's the tiebreaker. The Giants are 0-2-1 in divisional play. They've lost to the Cowboys twice, and they tied the Commanders. They still have to play the Eagles twice here. So uh, just based on divisional record, I think that's what it would go by. The Commanders would leapfrog the Giants um, into the playoff race. So this is a huge game for the Giants against the Eagles next week. Huge. And then the Commanders, but you, you look at it, the Commanders are at an advantage. They just played the Giants. They have a bye week where they get to do nothing but study the Giants, and then they're home against them in week 15. So it's just their mind, their minds are solely locked into New York. Uh, and whereas the Giants, obviously, they have to prepare for the Eagles and then turn around and prepare for Washington again. So I don't know. It, it's going to be tough. Um, they they need they need to beat Washington. That this was the chance to beat them at home. And you didn't get it done. And I'm saying it doesn't it didn't hurt the Giants necessarily this week because they're still in the same exact spot they were last week in terms of playoff positioning. But now you're in a tough spot here because you have a lot of divi- you have more divisional games coming up. Uh, if you're the Giants, and you have to play the Commanders, Eagles, Commanders, Vikings, Colts, Eagles. Not a cakewalk, you know. Could they beat the Vikings and Colts? Yeah. Could they beat the Commanders once? Yeah, but you have the Eagles twice is going to be very difficult. So it's uh, I, like I said, there there were quite a few times the Giants could have won this game. They could have held the Commanders to a field goal, maybe or a fourth down like that. That was a tough last last uh, last ditch to get, and then they had you know I think they had one forty five left with three timeouts. Maybe two timeouts. They didn't do anything. They didn't move the ball. So it, it sucks. Uh, I'm not thrilled with a tie. It's I guess people people say you know losses are better. You know at least you get a uh, a result, win or loss. Tying sucks from a player standpoint. Sure, I get that. But from a from a fan perspective, with your team fighting for a playoff spot, I think the tie is going to be fine, and it will undoubtedly come into play later on in the season no doubt so with the other New York team the Jets such a winnable game you gotta be banging your head if you just had a slightly better quarterback if only Zach Wilson wasn't horrible you could have won this game Vikings win 27 to 22 but this Jets team really 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 battled 
Uh, Greg Zerloin, I would say, is probably the uh, MVP for the Jets because he kicked five, no, six field goals uh, for the New York Jets. After his sixth field goal, they were down 20-15. to 15, um, And then it was Justin Jefferson scored, so 27-15. And the Jets were able to score with 6.45 less left in the game. It was a 27-22 to 22 ball game. They had several opportunities to punch it in, to take the lead, and they just couldn't do it. And you just got to be so frustrated and so angry where it's like you had, you had it. This, this, you had such a huge, uh, and there's no doubt in my mind that if the Jets did take this lead, the defense would have held on because the defense is legit. The defense is really, really good. So I have no doubts that they could protect the lead when needed. Um, but oh my God, man, what a just a, a huge frustrating game for Jets fans and for the players, I'm sure. Came up just short so many times. Uh, so Mike White. I mean, he he played fairly well. You look at it, you know, 369 yards and two touchdowns, um, two interceptions. Obviously, the two picks you you want to do without, but like the opportunity was there. You know, he 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 kept you in the game. He played well enough to put you within striking distance, within six points. You know, within a touchdown, you were there with plenty of time on the clock, six and a half minutes. So you were you were in a position to win, and then also you get down the field, you have a chance to win it, and you couldn't get it done on four downs. Um, but Mike White, all things considered, pre- played pretty well. He'll probably be the starter for the rest of the year at this rate. Um, Zonovan Knight, Bam Knight, what a what a past couple games he's had with the injury to uh, to Michael Carter. He um, he comes in against Chicago, fourteen carries. 69 yards, uh, three catches for 16 yards, and then against the Vikings, 15 carries for 90 yards, five catches for 28 yards. Uh, he's everywhere. Unsigned rookie out of NC State, 21 years old. He Diamond in the rough, this kid has been. Uh, you actually have some semblance of a run game. 15 carries, 90 yards is, is good. It's nothing to scoff at. That's a great yards per attempt. And then Garrett Wilson continues... His uh, his second half trend, which is what Jets rookies seem to do, eight catches, 162 yards for Garrett Wilson, outplayed Justin Jefferson, um, seven catches for 45 yards and a touchdown for Jefferson, who was I believe being shadowed by Sauce Gardner all game. So he had seven catches, yards wasn't there. He did toast Sauce Gardner on one specific route that I saw, but Kirk Cousins failed to hit Jefferson on the sideline. Um. I mean, there's there's so many things that you can look at in this game as a Jets fan and be happy about, but that that loss is still gonna sting. It's still gonna sting, man. No matter how you look at it, because the the winning, it was right there. It was right there. You had it at the end of the game, man. You had it. Gotta be frustrating. It has to be. Uh, but listen, there's, the Jets are still in a in a good position here. Um, they have the seven seed. Right now, the last wild card spot behind the Dolphins and the Bengals, because the division leaders right now are Buffalo, KC, Baltimore, and Cincinnati are both eight and four. But Baltimore does have the win advantage. Unfortunately for them, Lamar Jackson is unlikely to play against the Steelers next week after a knee injury he suffered against the Broncos. He had to come out. The Ravens barely beat them, uh, but it seems like Lamar is going to miss 
that game against the Steelers, which is obviously huge for the Bengals because they could overtake them in the division now, um, assuming the Ravens lose. So you have Buffalo, KC, Baltimore, Tennessee, uh, the one through four seeds and the four division leaders right there. Cincinnati's the first wild card. Miami, second wild card. They're both eight and four. Jets are seven and five. Uh, they still have a game up on New England, who's six and six. The Chargers also six and six because they stink. And we're gonna get to that. Trust me. I had a lot of people get on me for my Justin Herbert little clip that I shared on TikTok. Ton of comments talking about Justin Herbert, and uh, some some of them were not happy. But Sometimes you just got to say what other people won't, you know? Uh, moving on from the Jets and Giants. Steelers-Falcons didn't pay too much attention to this, but uh, Kenny Pickett, Najee Harris had a good game. Um, kind of a gross game. The Steelers defense came up clutch with a pick at the end, and the Steelers win 19-16. Atlanta fails to capitalize here. Uh, again, that, that NFC South is still within reach. I talked about it last week as well. Monday Night Football, obviously a huge NFC South game. Bucks hosting the Saints. Tom Brady notoriously bad against the Saints. So, huge game there. Uh, they might New Orleans might be able to pull themselves out of the trenches here too. Packers beat the Bears. Some things never change, unfortunately. I really thought this was going... Justin Fields was back, so I really thought this was going to be the game that... The Bears at home, they finally beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Finally. Like, the Packers are struggling. They're not playing well. Aaron Rodgers got banged up last game. Justin Fields is coming back. Like, this is it. I really thought this was going to be it. And it wasn't. Packers rallied in the fourth quarter, and they won 28-19. to They outscored the Bears in the second half, 18-3. All 18 of those points for the Packers coming in the fourth quarter. Bears scored a whopping zero points in the final quarter of the game. A.J. Dillon had his best game of the year so far, 18 carries, 93 yards, and a touchdown because Aaron Jones got banged up. He did come back, but they didn't really use him at all. Um, I would imagine he's going to be fine next week. Justin Fields, two interceptions, not great. Like, I really thought this was it, man. I really thought this was the game that the Bears finally beat the Packers. But not just yet. Aaron Rodgers, he could suck against everyone else, but when it, Chicago rolls in or they go to Chicago, he is ready. He is ready. Uh, Lions-Jaguars. This game I thought was going to be way closer than it was, but Jared Goff threw for 340 yards, and the Lions won 40-14. to And my goodness, can this Lions team really put up points, dude. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, 11 catches for 114 yards and two touchdowns. Garrett Goff, like I said, threw for 340 yards. Swift had 62 and a touchdown. Uh, they were just clicking on all cylinders. And fun fact, right now, which is crazy to think about, the Lions at home next week are favored at 5-7 and seven against the 10-2 and two Minnesota Vikings. A divisional game at home. The fucking Lions are favored by one and a half points. Insane. Totally insane. I mean, I know odds making has kind of changed in the past, but it's always usually okay to go with like the home team gets three points. So if you're underdogs by like three and a half points at home, that kind of means the the bookies think, the odds makers think that you're going to get blown out. Here, lines are home. You assume they get three. It's one and a half. I guess that means it's going to be a tight game. So, or 
you know, that's what the, the odds makers think. But uh, even if, you know, you didn't have to tell me the line, but the fact that they're not underdogs, I think, is is pretty crazy. Like, I know they've been playing really well. Um, they had, a, what, a three-game win streak going into Thanksgiving. And then, you know, they played the Bills right up until the end and lost by three. And then they come out here and they blow out the Jaguars. Suddenly the lines look pretty good again. Uh, they're five and seven. They can put points on the board. We've known that pretty much all season. And the defense has really stepped up over the last five weeks. Uh, they got a huge stop against the Bears to win it. They beat up on the Giants, who lost, obviously, a ton of people to injury, but nonetheless, still beat up on them. They held the Bills down for as long as they possibly could uh, until that last drive, unfortunately, for them. And then they just decimated the Jaguars. So the Vikings being favorite at home against a 10-2 and interdivisional rival is shocking, I would say, to say the least. But I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, a shocking one here for me, the Eagles just laying the wood on the Titans. AJ, uh, AJ Brown had a fantastic game. And you kind of, you saw that. I thought it would be a more competitive, but uh, it, it wasn't. I mean, AJ Brown had the game that he wanted to have. Eight catches, 119 yards, and two touchdowns for AJ Brown. Hurts, 29-39, 380 yards and three touchdowns through the air. Miles Sanders only had 10 carries for 24 yards, but one was a touchdown. Um, so AJ Brown against his old team in Philadelphia, like you knew he was going to pop off, and that's exactly what happened. I just thought the Titans were going to put up more of a fight on offense, but they did not. Ryan Tannehill was the leading rusher, 34 yards rushing on three carries for Ryan Tannehill. Derrick Henry, a minuscule 11 carries for 30 yards, uh, so that the Eagles did just a fantastic job of shutting down uh, Tannehill and Henry. They couldn't do much of anything. Um, so just a, a flat-out beatdown for the Eagles. They improved to 11-1 and and keep the best record in the NFL. Ravens, I mentioned this briefly, disgusting game. If there's any free money to be made in the world, it's the under in Denver Broncos games. Uh, they continue to suck. They didn't lose their starting quarterback, but they still stink. Against a bad, not a, not a particularly good Ravens defense, you mustered up nine points. I mean, Russ, if you listen to Russell Westbrook, I mean, Russell, oh my God, Russell Westbrook, Russell Wilson, sorry, Russell Westbrook, he's actually been playing fantastic basketball, which we have not talked much basketball on here, but we will, we will soon, I promise. It, it, it's getting there, we're almost at Christmas, and that is really the turning point for the NBA, where you get to really see who's legit, who's not, that's Christmas time moving forward is real prime NBA action. So we will get to that once the, when the, once the NFL you know comes down, boils down to the playoffs. We'll start integrating some more basketball into the podcast, I promise. But Will, Russell Wilson, if you listen to his post-game press conferences, he, he says the right things, man. He really does. And he talks about how frustrating it is, how difficult it's been. And I almost... You know, you clown him and you clown him and you clown him. But now I'm also kind of turning a little bit where it's like I feel kind of bad for this team and for him. 
Nathaniel Hackett, I've been saying it is, I think he's got to go, unfortunately for him. Um, but Tyler Huntley, much like last year when they needed him to step up, he comes in and he leads the Ravens. They score a touchdown in the fourth quarter. This was a 9-3 to game going into the fourth. They score a touchdown with 28 seconds left in the fourth quarter to win the game 10-9. to It was a gross one. Um, but Lamar going down made things ugly. Ravens pull it out. They're eight and four. Lamar already reported unlikely to play against the Steelers next Sunday. And for the Broncos, uh, they continue to suck with no upside in the near future because they do not have their draft pick. They're three and nine. Browns, Texans. I thought this was going to be a huge blowout. It wasn't. Cleveland twenty-seven. Houston fourteen. Houston goes to one ten and one. And the Browns go to 5-7. and seven. They get their first win with Deshaun Watson back in Houston. Uh, but he played like shit. He did not play well. 12-22, uh, 131 yards, and one interception for Deshaun Watson. The Browns actually did not score an offensive touchdown. They had 27 points, not a single offensive touchdown. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a 76-yard punt return. Denzel Ward had a 4-yard fumble return for a touchdown, and then Tony Fields had a 16-yard interception return for a touchdown, uh, and then they had a couple of Cade York, or one or two Cade York field goals to top it off, so no offensive touchdowns for the Browns, which is pretty gross against a bad Texans team. Um, actually, the only... The only offensive touchdown scored in the entire game was at the very end, under two minutes left. Nico Collins got a pass from Kyle Allen, and that was the only offensive touchdown. That made it 27-14. to 14. There also was a safety in this game. Um, yeah, it was a weird one, and it was pretty gross. But Deshaun Watson, I think maybe uh, people kind of thought he was going to show up. And, and just kind of be like, nothing happened, you know, light it up against his old team, he was going to be showboating, having fun, no, he was, he seemed pretty frustrated the entire game, um, not very good, I read you his stat line, like, that is, like, a pretty clear indicator of how he, how he played, honestly, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, the stat, the, the, the box score doesn't tell the whole story, in this case, it does, uh, Deshaun Watson played bad, yeah, I was one of those guys who thought he'd come in, you know, throw for three touchdowns. It was going to be a cakewalk. No, he stunk. So he'll he might need a couple weeks to really. Uh, he hasn't been practicing with the team. He hasn't been around with the team. You know, Jacoby Brissett's been leading this team. People love him. So Watson's got a he's got some ground to make up for, more so than I think me and maybe some other people thought. Seahawks Rams Seahawks scored a last second touchdown to beat the Rams. 27 to 23. They keep their playoff hopes alive. As I mentioned, before they improve to 7 and 5, they leapfrog the Commanders in the NFC standings. Uh, tough loss for the Rams, but I mean, Walford comes in and then I think he got hurt. Uh, thought he was going to come out. He ended up staying in. Cam Akers had his best game of the season 17 rushes, 60 yards, and two touchdowns for Cam Akers. So that's good. That's a. Uh, a good sign to see if you're a Rams fan, if you know you just like football, Cam Akers, you know, there was a whole thing with him going to like a sports psychologist and being like, it feels like the team's plotting against him, basically. 
So he finally got a good game under his belt. Um, Walford threw two picks. Kind of a gross one to watch. Uh, any any game involving the Rams is kind of gross to watch. Matt Stafford, I think, just went on IR. He's done for the year. Uh, Cooper Cup, probably done for the year. Like, I, they wouldn't bring any of these guys who are injured back. So, Niners, Dolphins. A game that I was going to be, I thought was closer than originally ended up being 33 to 17 in a game where Jimmy Garoppolo is now done for the season with a broken ankle, leaves the game, and Brock Purdy has to come in. And uh, the only time we saw him this year was in that blowout against the Chiefs. He came in super late. Uh, but he came in and led this team to a W, a huge W. And both teams are now 8-4. and four. Generally speaking, I'm not saying this is Mike McDaniel's fault or anything like that. I think this win can really be credited to D'Amico Ryans, who just had the Dolphins' offense in an absolute nightmare scenario, like the torture chamber. And D'Amico Ryans, he's going to make an excellent head coach for someone. But his defense just had... Mike McDaniel and that Dolphins offense, which is usually unbelievable, in a torture chamber. And that's saying something considering the first play of the game. The very first play of the game, Trent Sherfield took a pass from Tua 75 yards to the house. So you're thinking, all right, this is going to be a shootout. Nope. They, were, they scored 10 points the rest of the game, the Dolphins, after the opening drive touchdown. D'Amico Ryan's... Did a hell of a job. Uh, but generally speaking, these uh, master versus apprentice things are not usually in favor of the apprentice. Put it that way. And again, I'm not saying Matt, Mike McDaniel coached a particularly bad game. I'm just saying the master always kind of has like that leg up. you know. And it's been that way for a long time. And uh, in this case, it's no different. Kyle Shanahan and D'Amico Ryans locked up Mike McDaniel and they didn't let him do his super potent Dolphins offense in this game. And they end up winning 33-17. The rest of the way, though, the Niners, are they going to make the playoffs? Probably. Um, if, if you take a look at their schedule, this was a huge win to get out of the way. If you look at the rest of their schedule, they play the Bucks, the Seahawks, which is going to be a huge game. Um, the Commanders, the Raiders, and the Cardinals, quite honestly, I think Purdy can lead this Niners team to wins against all these guys. All he has to do is not turn the ball over. You have so many weapons on that offense. Just be a game manager, make quick, safe throws, don't turn it over, and you'll be fine. I think Christian McCaffrey is going to definitely be have to step up for what he's worth. In these next five weeks, as as a guy that they just abuse the shit out of, um, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, like get those guys the ball quickly, and you'll be all right. Uh, but I, I think they can win it out. I think they can, or win out the uh, the east or the west. I think they'll still get into the playoffs. But in terms of how far they get to the playoffs, um, I'm not sure. I don't think it's gonna be much, unless they go out and get someone. Uh, there's not, I, I have no, what quarterbacks are available that would be better than Purdy right now? Because he, he looked too bad against the Dolphins and, you know, he knows the system, he knows the offense. 
because people are going to be like, oh, well, Baker Mayfield is available. He just got waived by the Panthers. Baker, no. Baker Mayfield is not the answer there in San Francisco. He's not. He's he's gonna make you worse. He's not good. So I don't know, man. It, it's 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 definitely a uh, an interesting scenario they got going on there. Last couple games, um, Chiefs Bengals. Everyone's talking about. Well, let's do Chargers Raiders first. The Chargers Raiders. So what did, what are we? When are the excuses? Are they? Do they just boil down now to these? crazy Justin Herbert fanboys and these Chargers fans, do they boil down to now that your defense just isn't good? Is that what, is that the argument? I think your defense is is all right for the most part, but, you know, they didn't play particularly well this game. Um, but, like, what what is the, what, what excuses are we rolling with now? Because you have most of your weapons outside of Mike Williams healthy, and the Chargers still stink. I understand the offensive line might be missing a couple people, but come on, man. Come on. Where where did the excuses stop? Stop passing the buck, okay? The Raiders win 27-20. to Suddenly, the Raiders don't look too bad. They've won three games in a row. Look at that. Against the Broncos, the Seahawks, and now the Chargers. Wow. They have the Rams. Could be a W. The Patriots could be a W. The Steelers could be a W. The Niners, with no more Jimmy G, could be a W. And then the Chiefs to end the season. So, suddenly, the Raiders have some type of a pulse. I don't know how this happened. And the Chargers, I think, are dead. The Chargers are 6-6. Six and six. The Raiders are 5-7. and seven, And somehow, the Raiders are more alive than this, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, look at this... All I'm going to say is next Sunday night is going to be a huge bragging rights thing, like a huge I told you so thing, because it's the Dolphins at the Chargers, and the entire night, the entire broadcast, it's going to be about Tua versus Justin Herbert. Well, you know, these guys got taken with back-to-back pits in the draft, and everyone thought Herbert was the better pick, even though Tua was the better prospect, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be... Horrible. They're gonna chew your ear off with this kind of uh this this storyline that has been gift wrapped to them. And rightfully so. People want to talk about it. You know, the Dolphins, um, yes, they have two of the most dynamic receivers in the NFL, but they're eight and four. The Chargers are floundering at six and six. Um Herbert's stats himself are great. I'm not necessarily blaming him for these losses, obviously. I just think when is he when is the is the step where he makes everyone exponentially better does that happen next year? Because I'm I'm old enough to remember that people are putting Justin Herbert in the same kind of scenario, the same the same pool, the same tier as Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, you know, and even you know I'll say Joe Burrow. Burrow's a winner. Proven and Herbert, you know, he didn't have, he he was really kind of a, a project piece coming out of the draft. Uh, he had the great physicals and the intangibles. Everyone loved it. But people were like, well, at Oregon, he didn't do much winning. He's kind of like a work piece. Then he had a sensational rookie year, and it's just been an upwards trajectory since for people who are like, he's going to be one of the best. 
He's already on his way to top five. The Chargers are going to be great. The amount of people I heard take the Chargers to win the AFC West this year was astronomical. Um, so many people took the Chargers, and then the Raiders got Adams, and then a lot of people thought that the Raiders were going to win the West. It's always been Patrick Mahomes, okay? He's just so far away better than everyone else. Uh, and They still can't beat the Bengals, but I, I know the Chargers have their problems. I know they have to add additional pieces if they want to compete. I know it's not Justin Herbert's total fault. I think he deserves like a good chunk of the blame, but I don't think it's all his fault. I'm asking when do when do we see him elevate everyone else around him? Because right now he doesn't elevate anybody. He doesn't. His stats may look fine, and you might you know you you might look at him. Kind of like Kyler Murray, getting to that point where it's like very gifted, very talented. And when you look at his stats year in and year out, they're going to be very consistent. They kind of both came into the league with a bang. And they've both been playing at that, that similar high level. But they do not make their team better. Like they do not make their teammates better. They do not elevate guys around the field. They don't. Look at what Mahomes is doing. He has Travis Kelsey, yes. Look at what he's doing with everyone else, though. Not necessarily brand-name guys. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who was like wide receiver three on the Packers. Um, they bring in... Sky Moore is getting involved. He's a young draft pick. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, who outside of that one year where he also had AB lining up across the other side of the field, Juju has didn't do anything with the Steelers. He actually regressed significantly with them. And now he comes to the Chiefs and he's, I think, first on the team in catches, second in yards. Like, he's having a a very good season with Kansas City. And then their running back scenario, Isaiah Pacheco has been a, a godsend for them. So, Mahomes makes people better. He does. It's undeniable. Uh, and you look at guys like Tua and Joe Burrow and, and you say, oh, well, they're playing really well because they have the best weapons in the league. I don't know about that. Uh, listen, Joe Burrow, like they, he, he's fantastic, bro. Like we saw what he did without Jamar Chase. Everyone, everyone was like, oh, he has great weapons. They beat an AFC team who is considered to be a good team. They're going to win the South. They're going to be a playoff team. He beat them without Jamar Chase and without Joe Mixon. And he... Samaji Piran and T. Higgins lit it up. And Burrow is a winner. Tried and true, bro. He is a winner. And back to my Herbert thing, because we're going to get into Tua, because we're going to get into um, Burrow and Mahomes and that rivalry that's spewing. Herbert is, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very close to putting him in the same category as Kyler Murray. Where, like I said, it's like on paper, at the end of the season, you're going to look at his stats and be like, well, he certainly wasn't the problem. But when you watch them play, neither one of them, they are both physically talented. They can make these crazy throws. And and you know they, they have the capabilities of being all-time great quarterbacks. But when is that step going to come? Is it going to be a when there's a change of head coach? When Kingsbury or uh, Staley are gone? Is it just going to be 
one more off-season workouts where they both make that leap? Or are they just going to end up being in this kind of Derek Carr-esque scenario where the team just doesn't perform as well as, as people expect it to? Because that's really what the Raiders and Derek Carr have been uh, for the past few years, where a lot of people are high on them, they got a lot of weapons, and then they just regress. And luckily for them last year, Rich Bisakia, who should have been the head coach this year instead of freaking dumb Josh McDaniels, should have been Bisaccia. He rallies that team. Derek Carr plays unbelievable football, and they get into the playoffs by beating the Chargers. So it's mm, it's so frustrating, man. The, it's really, really frustrating to look at because you're like, these. both of these teams should be better. And if you include the Raiders in like what I just said, all three of those teams should be better. They should be better, and they're not. So at what point do you stop blaming everyone else and, and blame the quarterback a little bit more? That's all I'm saying. I give Herbert another year. If he doesn't make that jump, that that visible jump, that quarterbacks, star franchise quarterbacks are supposed to make, that help you find ways to win, and that's really what it comes down to. He he doesn't. He plays really well, and the team's usually in it for the most part for every game, but he doesn't necessarily find ways to win. Does he get unlucky sometimes? Absolutely, all quarterbacks get unlucky sometimes. But he just doesn't find that way to win. He hasn't really done that con- consistently. And neither has Kyler Murray. And, you know, it's just the way it is. So, yeah. Brutal loss for the Chargers. And even though they have a better record than the Raiders, it feels like the Raiders have more of a pulse than they do. Um, Colts-Cowboys was Sunday night. Cowboys outscored the Colts 33-0 in the fourth quarter. They won 54-19. to Scorigami! Love to see it. Um, but the game of the week was Chiefs at Bengals. Uh, the Bengals have beaten the Chiefs now three consecutive times, all by three points. Uh, the last two times, actually, were both 27-24. to 24. So Bengals win 27-24, to 24, and it came down to this tough play. Mahomes was running up in the pocket. He gets tripped up around his ankles. He actually did come up limping a little bit, but I haven't heard anything about injury or anything like that. I think he was just a little hobbled. Um, He comes up limping and he got sacked and they had to settle for a very long field goal from Butker. He comes up just wide right. The length was there. The distance was there. Comes up just wide right and that was with I believe, um, less than four minutes left in the game. Yeah, they got, they got the, uh, they got the ball back with 3.24 left in the game. And they, they almost, almost had it. Like the Chiefs had them. Um, the Chiefs had them a couple times where they could have got the ball back and, Burrow made a completion to Jamar Chase, who made a great run after the catch down the sideline to get the first down. And then the second time where they had the the Bengals, who they could have forced the Bengals to kick a field goal at the Chief uh, 28-yard line, third and 11, sub two minutes, right here is the game. If you stop them, they kick the field goal, and then you have to go down and try and score a touchdown with, you know, a minute left. T. Higgins, I've been saying it time and time again. You have a long third down, long to medium third down. 
Higgins is the guy that Joe Burrow looks for. That's exactly what he did. He got a 14-yard slant route to T. Higgins. It was an unbelievable route. Unbelievable throw right to the chest and strong hands from T. Higgins to pull it in. And that would seal the, the game for the Bengals. But they have now beaten the Chiefs three times in a row. Once in the playoffs, of course. And everyone was talking about earlier in the year when the Bills beat the Chiefs. Everyone wanted to talk about Oh well, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are the new, they're the new uh, Brady Peyton Manning rivalry. This is it. This is what we're gonna get for the next fifteen years. It's gonna be awesome. But really, the real Brady Manning rivalry reincarnated is Burrow and Mahomes. These guys duke it out. It's a close score every time, and Burrow has actually won more than Josh Allen in the postseason. So. The whole thing with like Brady and Manning was that Manning won everything in the regular season and Brady won the championships because that's how it was. By the time, I think Nick Wright was going on a whole thing about this because he's a huge KC guy. Uh, Peyton Manning, I think, had won like three MVPs before he beat Brady for the first time in the playoffs, and Brady had been, you know, Super Bowl champion already by then. So, (laughs) he's like, I don't get the Mahomes-Allen comparison because Allen hasn't won anything. Mahomes has been first-team All-NFL, All-Pro, first-team All-Pro. He's won a Super Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl MVP. You know, he's been a a, a top-of-the-league MVP leaders for the past couple years. Josh Allen... This is his first year where we're looking at him and we're like, okay, maybe he's a a real MVP candidate. So he's like, I don't understand why everyone keeps saying, oh, it's Brady and and Peyton again with Mahomes and Allen, and Allen hasn't done anything. The thing here is that Cincinnati has just played, they've played flawless football three consecutive times against the Kansas City Chiefs. Did a couple things break their way? Sure. But... The thing that they did that won the game, besides Butker missing the kick at the end to really seal it for them, uh, they converted two big third downs to ice the game after the missed kick. And then the defense, they did it in the playoffs, came up with a turnover. They, Travis Kelsey was fighting for yards and very uncharacteristically coughed up the football. And the Bengals were clawing and scratching at it. They finally ripped one out. Uh, And that was the turnover, and that was the game. Because up until that point, it had been tick for tat, back and forth with these two teams. And the Chiefs had the lead at that point, and they finally gave it up. It was 24-20. They coughed up the ball. Bengals got an extra possession. They scored, made the most of it, held Kansas City to a long field goal attempt, and uh, they got a benefit of, of Bucker missing it. So... I like that better so far. It's been the more apt comparison more so than Josh Allen and Mahomes. People really, really, really want to make those two kids a rivalry. Um, but the bigger rivalry is between Mahomes and Burrow because Mahomes hasn't beaten Burrow in three straight games. That's the bigger one. I understand Mahomes and Allen, they've played. Obviously, they played in the playoffs. And then this year in the regular season, Allen won. Mahomes won in the playoffs. Burrow's won three straight against Mahomes. So, as far as I'm concerned, that's the bigger rivalry that's brewing, more so than Chiefs-Bills. Okay, I don't think I missed anything, and there have been no signings while we've been recording this other than the ones I've mentioned already. So, that'll wrap it up for this episode of From My Point of View. Thank you all for listening. 
I appreciate you as always. Have a great weekend. Can't believe it's already December 5th. My goodness. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. And I'll talk to you all next Tuesday. I don't trust women, so I thank God that I had some daughters. I'm the youngest, but yet I'm richer than every one of my brothers. I took flowers, but yet shit, put it on my mom and father. Then I get my pills from my daughter. Pippin' a couple of bitches that copper. I didn't like that pit, no cropping. You talking about that check, now stop it. Water slip off my wrist, it's dropping. Now I got a couple against my pocket. Big D, I've been rocking shit near the throwing up season. That's the challenge. Pointed out to a normal body. Yeah, I was living my life on a yacht. I ain't taking my chain off that. Like the way that you suck in my cock. Got some acting, let's go get a pop. Take the latch off and whip to the top. Niggas try to say that I'm in the hot. Now they say I don't belong in this spot. Metro, 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 bought me a paint from bezel. I put two tone on my bezel. Buck a rock, the candles. Maybach getting me some top me while I flip the channel. Bigger.